You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders, Jason Staples. You're listening to the Day After Podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com and Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street. Buck, obviously no Carolina game to talk about. Uh, Carolina, of course, on a bye week ahead of Virginia Tech next weekend, but there was a lot of action, especially in the ACC book, and a lot of it had a lot to do with North Carolina. Uh, let's get right into it. Let's talk about that Virginia-Miami game first. Uh, that was a huge game. It put Carolina in a position where they have their destiny in their hands, and that's not – you can't usually say that a lot this time of year, but Carolina's got it with Miami's win. What did you see there um, that maybe surprised you or didn't surprise you um, with Miami and Virginia? Well, I had always thought that, or, you know, for this year, I've been thinking that uh, Virginia really, really misses um, a couple of players that they had last year offensively. Uh, the Zacchaeus kid, the wide receiver, and Jordan Ellis running back. I mean, that's a, a thousand yard receiver and a thousand yard running back off your team at one whack. And, and so I think there's a little bit more pressure now on Bryce Perkins. And, you know, I, I, sometimes pressure could be a good thing, but sometimes it's not. And, and I think he's feeling some of the adverse effects of it. Uh, to get in the red zone six times and come away with three field goals, that's horrendous. Um, and now Miami played good defense for sure. But uh, you would expect more scoring out of Virginia, um, even against a good defense, if if they're the 20th ranked team in the nation. But to only get nine points uh, against Miami, um, you know that that's something that I think is probably going to cause some consternation in Charlottesville among the Virginia coaching staff. Jason, your takeaways on that game? I mean. Clearly, it was a good outcome for North Carolina. But I agree with Buck, you know, talking about Virginia's issues. And, of course, they had a huge injury in that game. But it's just fascinating to me to watch Miami play because one day they look like world beaters and the next day they can't beat anybody. But, anyway, your thoughts on that ball game? You remember how last week when we when we were doing this very podcast, uh, I, I mentioned that I thought Duke was really the the the, the game for for uh for Mac and, and this team to manage to have a real good shot at winning the winning the coastal. You remember yep. that? Yep. This was why. <laughs> <laughs> there was nothing about that game that surprised me. I had seen a lot of Virginia earlier this year and had a chance to break down some of their stuff really closely and they're just they were a paper tiger. Uh, you know, the fact that they beat a, a bad Florida State team, I think, carried a lot of weight with people. And really, they they are not 
they were not the team that I was primarily worried about. Actually, I think Virginia Tech, and, and I mean, if you look at how each of them played against against Miami, I think Virginia Tech this weekend is a harder game for North Carolina in terms of matchups than that Virginia game. And thought so last week too, because ultimately it's it's about what Virginia lacks and where North Carolina matches up well. And Virginia's offensive line is not good. I mean, you talk about that they they're missing some real key playmakers on that offensive side of the ball, but they're also missing some of those offensive linemen. Their offensive line is young and it is bad. And it that's what happened. That's why they had trouble when they got into the red zone. I mean, they had to try to do all sorts of funky stuff to try to score down there because they knew they couldn't line up and run it because they couldn't block Miami. And, you know, that's when you're when you're North Carolina moving into that game, that's something that you pay close attention to, and they don't have wide receivers that can run by you, so they're they're a team that needs to be able to run the ball and needs to be able to sustain drives based on consistent execution because they can't they don't have big play guys they they just they're not going to run by you, and then they don't have a good offensive line. Well, that's that's tough sledding then for for Perkins. Now, if they didn't have Perkins who can hide a lot of that because he's so good with his legs, they they'd have been exposed earlier. But that was that was no surprise to me. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I think my, I, I think North Carolina already beat the best team in the coastal, and that's Miami. And so, like you said, they control their own destiny. Now, this week against Virginia Tech, I think is going to be a lot harder because Virginia Tech has some wide receivers that with Trey Morrison and Patrice Rene not on the field, those wide receivers are going to be a problem. And, you know, that's just going to be that's going to be an issue matchup wise. And that's something that Virginia doesn't doesn't bring to the table. but Virginia Tech does. And I think that's that's the big concern coming in this week is you got to beat Virginia Tech and you got to beat Duke in order to continue to control your your uh, your destiny and those two those two games I think are the are the games that I'm more worried about. Although Virginia they won't beat themselves and they're going to play good enough defense that they're still going to be in the game. But they just they're they're limited enough on on the offensive side that they're going to have some problems running away from anybody. Buck, you agree with that? You agree that Virginia Tech may be a tougher ball game um, for Carolina than people think? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, what everybody thinks, I think it'll be a tough ball game. I mean, it's in Blacksburg. Um, they're certainly going to uh, treat it as a game that they should win. And, you know, sometimes belief is a powerful, powerful thing. Um, but Virginia, I think, has a way tougher, better organized defense than Virginia Tech does. Um, I think North Carolina, you know, has a chance to win a shootout with uh, Virginia Tech if they have to. Um, uh, Virginia's not going to give them that chance to win a uh, shootout. They're going to have to, you know, the Virginia-North Carolina game is going to be like a lot of them that we have seen this year. Uh, it's going to be, you know, uh, both teams are going to score in their 20s maybe. Uh, but the Virginia Tech game, who knows? I think, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of scoring there. Uh, the quarterback, Hooker, he doesn't really 
scare you too much, uh, except he can run the ball. That's something that North Carolina's going to have to keep an eye on. But you know, I, I just think that uh, offensively, um, North Carolina can get a lot more uh, out of its offense in Blacksburg than they'll get against Virginia. So uh, I guess it depends on which way you think North Carolina can win um, the best. And, you know, I, I think they're going to have to, uh, down the stretch, they're going to have to win some games where both teams score in the 30s. Uh, so, and and the Virginia Tech game may be one of those. Jason, that's one thing. Uh, bye weeks are great for getting healthy, but Carolina's defensive secondary is just not getting healthy. Um, what do you see from Virginia, or you mentioned Virginia Tech's uh, wide receivers, that'll be an issue. I mean, Carolina's going to have to, we talk about Jay Bateman all the time. He's going to have to figure out a way to mask that because those guys aren't coming back, or at least uh, most of them are not coming back. And that's, like you said, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, well, I mean, Virginia Tech, you look at who they've got on the field at receiver, and they've got six legit pass catchers out there. I mean, everybody from North Carolina – who pays attention to recruiting knows, knows who Trey Turner is. I mean, I thought he was a top 10 in the country wide receiver coming out and he's a sophomore up there and he's their sixth leading receiver in terms of yardage. So, you know, the, uh, Damon Hazelton is a quality receiver. Tavion Robinson, the, the freshman up there, quality receiver, the five ten guy, but they're, they're big on the outside. They've got some quickness on the inside. They're going to cause you some problems. And the biggest problem is, again, you got Trey Turner and, and Hazleton that can go up and, and get the football on the outside. And without, without uh, Morrison and, and Renee out there, they just don't have the bodies to, to do as much as what you'd like in terms of single covering those guys. So that's th- those matchups, those are going to be a problem just because of personnel. And, you know, when you're, when you don't have your, when you don't have your starters and when the next, when the next guys you'd have out there are sitting out a year, well, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be a challenge. The good thing is that Virginia said their quarterback isn't all that great and their defense is going to give up some points. It's crazy to talk about Virginia tech and talk about how Bud Foster's defense is, is, is a weak spot, but you know, I, I think ultimately, but I think Buck's right that this is going to be a game where they're going to have to score in the 30s to win it, most likely. And now what's going to happen is Bateman will have had that extra week to prepare and he's going to come out and they'll end up holding Virginia Tech to three somehow <laughs> with, you know, duct tape and whatever MacGyver stuff Bateman's going to do. That I'm not going to doubt the guy, but at a certain point, you do start running out of bubble gum and duct tape even. And that's that's kind of where they're at in the secondary. We'll certainly preview Carolina Virginia Tech coming up three thirty in Blacksburg next Saturday or this coming Saturday, however you want to phrase it. Um, later on the Inside Carolina podcast throughout the week, and of course Greg and Jason and I on Thursday night. But I want to take a little bit of a break. Talk about JohnnyTshirt dot com. They're great mm. sponsor. Great sponsor of this podcast. Great sponsor um, or great place to go for Carolina fans, whether it's on Franklin Street or online. You can get everything you want, all things Carolina. We've talked about that. 
They got basketball gear too. We did a basketball podcast late last week. Pretty popular show. Everybody's getting ready for basketball to get heated up sooner than later. Crazy how time flies. But of course, if you're in town for that Duke game, Duke football game and Virginia football game, Mercer football game, get down there to Franklin Street, get some Johnny T-shirt, visit those guys. They're great. They're alumni, so they know where you're coming from. They've got all you need. And Inside Carolina subscribers get 10% off your order. And when it's Christmas time and you spend hundreds of dollars, 10% makes a difference. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, Johnny T-shirt online at johnnytshirt.com. It's going to be nice, at- by the way. I, I got to jump in here. I'm looking forward to that basketball season a bunch because it is going to be nice to see be on the other side with all that all that national attention with uh, Cole Anthony getting the Zion treatment this year. That's going to be uh, interesting to see all that happening. I, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that. that that's going to be fun, uh, fascinating to watch, to see if, if he, in fact, gets that Zion treatment. They say he is, but we, we, we'll, we'll see. I I don't think it'd be as much as that Zion, but you know who knows. Maybe so. Uh, but we we can't talk about basketball on this podcast just yet, um, especially not when I've got Buck sitting here waiting on a question. Buck, let's let's talk about something else that we saw, um, not in the ACC. And I know Jason wants to talk about an ACC game, but I want to talk about South Carolina and Georgia because I'm gonna be honest, I laughed. I could not believe that South Carolina beat Georgia in Athens. What an interesting game to watch and pay attention to. In South Carolina, I think their field goal kicker goes, what, one for three? And the one finally wins the ball game. Just crazy game down there. Carolina beats South Carolina. South Carolina beats Georgia. Not sure that means much, Buck, but your thoughts on that one? Well, uh, you know, I watched that game, too, and I like you, Tommy. I laughed as well. But, you know, South Carolina, they're on there like their third quarterback. I mean. It, is, it was unbelievable, and uh, you know the the I think the thing that does mean something though is that there was a lot of uh, commentators, uh, you know, biased and otherwise after North Carolina beat South Carolina, and they said, "Well, that's no big deal. South Carolina's no good. They're a bad team. That that win doesn't really mean anything because you know South Carolina's just terrible." Well. You can't be terrible and go into Athens against this Georgia team, which has as much talent as anybody in the nation, basically, except maybe Alabama, um, and beat them on their home field and be a terrible team. So, you know, I think that uh, definitely, uh, you know, added a little luster uh, to North Carolina's season. Um, you know, the fact that Miami beat Virginia again, that's good for North Carolina because they already have the W over Miami. Uh, so the way I look at it, uh, North Carolina won the open day, um, you know, from a strictly a Tar Heel perspective. And you know, what's crazy, Tommy, um, I was watching the all ACC show on ACCN with Mark Rick and EJ Manuel and. Uh, Eric McLean, and uh, they were talking about this weekend. This is after all the games have been played. And uh, they were talking about, you know, uh, the Louisville uh, Wake Forest game. That was a crazy game, too. And said, uh, you know, one of them said, well, is Louisville 
the second best team in the conference and they got to discussing it among themselves and the consensus opinion on the show was that North Carolina, the Tar Heels are the second best team in the conference. If they had to rank them right now, they would pick North Carolina number two behind Clemson. And I think that all ties into kind of how the weekend played out. Uh, South Carolina's win, Miami's win, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Clemson, uh, which is what we're going to segue into, uh, they were last seen winning by a point uh, over North Carolina, and and they just, uh, you know, curb stomped uh, Florida State. So it's an interesting question. I, you know, I kind of like to hear y'all's opinion on that. If you had to pick the second best team in the conference right now, who would it be? And is in North Carolina in that conversation? I think they're in the conversation. I'll let Jason answer it first. Uh, but, Jason, Matt Brown's so good, he even wins the open dates. <laughs> your, thoughts on, <laughs> your thoughts on Buck's questions. I think North Carolina was the second-best team in the ACC through the first half of the season. Now, that's a bit of a hedge because the problem is that North Carolina is – also, as we all know, and as we've talked about all season, really thin. And they've lost some some key key guys. And with the current state of the secondary and some of these things, just in terms of who they have in terms of bodies, it's, it's a worthwhile question as to whether or not they'll be the, the second best team in the, in the conference through the second half of the schedule, whether they're capable of that with the bodies they have healthy. So you think about, they were better than Miami. They beat Miami when they, when they played them. I think if those two teams played this week with the additional guys out for North Carolina and Miami's generally stayed healthy and they've switched, switched quarterbacks and a few other things have happened. I'd probably pick Miami in that game, but you know, it's close enough that you can make it, you can make a defensible case for North Carolina. And again, the, the, the question is what we're going to see over the rest of the, the rest of the season, are they going to be able to get some of these guys back and how do they match up with some of the, some of the teams that they're, they're getting in there. I think a lot of the problems in, in the ACC boil down to the kinds of matchups. Again, I think North Carolina matches up better with some teams than with others. And so you might be the second best team overall, but might lose to two and might lose to three and four if you actually played them straight up. So, but, but, you know, three and four would lose to more teams below them than, than two would. I think that's kind of the situation where the ACC doesn't really have a second best team right now that you can really point to. It's got a, it's got a really good team in Clemson. And then sort of a formless blob of mediocre teams below them, which is a great opportunity for this North Carolina team to be the tallest midget among the rest remaining against Clemson. And again, I think this, uh, this Virginia Tech game offers, I think this is a very important game for them coming up because of the recruiting and just other implications that come with that in terms of, of, uh, of program building and don't think that Mac and his staff haven't circled this one from the time they saw the, the schedule, especially with the open date before it saying, 
okay, well, this is the battle for all those Tidewater recruits to know which direction each program's going. And, you know, you win this game against Virginia Tech, and I think you can make a more defensible case that still the second best team in the conference. Buck, is Pittsburgh the second best team? No. Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, Tommy, this is how I see Pittsburgh. They could play, um, uh, name the most horrible team you can think of, and they will play down to that team's level. Um, and they, then they can play somebody like Penn State or, um, you know, another decent team and play up to their level. So, you know, it's it's a crapshoot with Pittsburgh. They're just so inconsistent. And, uh, you know, they uh, – of all the teams in the nation, I think Pittsburgh is the most guilty of playing down to their opponent and playing up to their opponent. It's, uh, it's not a consistent – yeah, you can rely on Pittsburgh to do A, B, and C in this game. You can't. So, uh, I, I don't think you can – where on the other hand, North Carolina, if you think about it, they have been extraordinarily consistent. Um, I mean, game in, game out, uh, they have produced pretty much the same sort of numbers every week. It's never been, uh, you know, they were, uh, even though they lost Wake Forest and, and Appalachia State, still their production was about on par with everything they've done this year. And um, when they played Clemson, they just did what they do and, uh, you know, didn't change themselves uh, or morph into a different football team or take it a different way than they, they otherwise would. Now, we had the conversation against those Wake Forest and Appalachian, whether North Carolina gave, um, you know, treated those games with the respect that they needed to and maybe the lesson learned there. But um, as far as their production, the production on the field was pretty consistent throughout. So, you know, I know I'm biased, but I, that's why I would say uh, North Carolina would get the edge over Pittsburgh. So, Jason, you were quick to say no. But, I mean, they, they beat a UCF team that's pretty good. They probably should have beat Penn State that I think is pretty good. Yeah, you you have a point. I mean, they, they have been – when you look at quality losses and the one quality win, they, they have that you, you probably got a case for them. I mean, I just, I don't know. I just, I have a hard time buying anything Pittsburgh is ever selling, <laughs> but you're right. I mean, I, I think actually come to think of it that you pro- they probably belong there in the discussion until somebody knocks them out because of, because of the competitiveness against Penn state and because of the win against UCF, which is crazy to say, but that's where we are. That's where we are. You're right. It, I mean, of all years for Mac Brown to come back, and this is the year. I mean, if Carolina stayed healthy, it was a no-brainer that they're going to come out of the Coastal. But let's talk about the Atlantic a little bit. Um, we'll talk about that Thursday night game just briefly, Jason. I'll ask you first. I mean, that, I feel like I read this column on Inside Carolina, and it told me that I needed to watch – Thursday night football and I needed to you know be watching this because it mattered for Carolina fans and so I turned it on and I watched it and I felt like that I was just sawing days and hours off my life and that was okay. <laughs> well in, fair, in fairness Tommy come on now I mean 
my column was about uh, getting some intel and getting familiarity with, you know, the NC State team. It well, wasn't about, uh, you know, and the game did turn out to be, uh, I think West Durham called it a pillow fight um, <laughs> on one of his one of his shows. It was, uh, it was absolutely brutal. It was brutal. I mean, I want to say Danny DeVito. I can't even remember his first name, but he looked like Joe Montana last year in the Carrier Dome against Carolina, and he looked like he'd never played football before against NC State. And State didn't look much better um, with the backward end Hockman. Jason, your thoughts on what you saw there in Raleigh? I mean, the Atlantic Division, good gracious. Well, it's the Atlantic Division and the Coastal Division, other than Clemson right now. And I guess, you know, you make a case for, for Pittsburgh. But God, that was so ugly. I'm just, you know, I, I don't really – do we have to discuss that one? Not I mean, really. Can I, just, can I just take a pass on that one? Because there, there, there really is nothing nothing to discuss. You, you're right. I just wanted to bring it up so I could give Buck a hard time and uh, ask for my life back, my, my hours back. But we'll, we'll skip that one. Uh, we will talk about the one I know you want to talk about, and that's Clemson and Florida State. I did not watch a ton of it after, um, was it 28 nothing pretty quick? I, uh, it sure was. You know, <laughs> they, um, Florida State, you know, I, I can't, I'll be honest, I want to see Florida State back good, but I'm just not seeing it. Um, but you watch them a lot closer than I do. So you tell you tell Buck and I what you saw on Saturday. Well, I, I want Florida State to be back and good, you know, soon. But I'm just not seeing it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The thing that stood out to me in that game <laughs> was how valuable Jay Bateman is. And explain it, because we talked about this off air, and I think this is rele- certainly relevant, and people need to understand this. So there are a couple there, – there's two layers to this. Number one is just the, just, just the raw numbers. North Carolina gave up 5.43 yards per play against Clemson, which is respectable. In fact, Clemson had eight yards per play against Georgia Tech, 5.72 against Texas A&M. That's not a bad A&M defense. against Syracuse, 7.28 against Charlotte. So North Carolina had the lowest yards per play given up on the season through that group. And then Florida State rolls into town. And if you haven't seen, if you're listening to this and and you're you're near a computer or you're you're sitting down and you're not in a car, it's worth going through and taking a look at the star ratings or the 24-7 composite ratings of the Florida State defense. Because I'm not exaggerating when I say I don't think there's a single player at at North Carolina who would start at Florida State on that defense. Not one. Not one player. They have, I think, 10 or 11 former four- or five-star defensive backs on their roster. Uh, they have the former number one defensive tackle prospect in the country who's probably going to be a first-rounder. He's right now in the top... I think 16 on, on Kuiper's big board as a defensive tackle. He's a Dexter Lawrence type. Uh, they, then they've got next to him a 330-pound two-gapper at nose who is a, a four-star. And next to him, they've got another four-star who is a 300-pound 
defensive end slash defensive tackle hybrid. And you can go down the list. Their their two linebackers are both what one was close to a five star, but both were high four stars coming out. Uh, it's and they've got a third kind of hybrid backer who is a four star as well. And that's because the five star uh, got hurt. And you know what Florida State gave up yards per play against that same Clemson offense? Six point oh seven yards per play. That's Almost, uh, that's what, six, six tenths of a yard more per play than North Carolina gave up. That's a significant amount. Now, yes, Clemson had a week to get healthy, to focus on the game. They didn't do that against North Carolina to the same degree. You can hem and haul you want. And yeah, you know, the elf's shoulder was banged up or whatever. You can, he missed some throws against North Carolina. You can say that all you want. And some of that's true. Yes, some of that is true. So, you know, sure. Maybe they maybe they have a little bit higher yards per play and win a little bit more easily in that in a different circumstance in Chapel Hill. But the reality is Jay Bateman and the North Carolina defense with without one guy that would start at Florida State and maybe a handful of guys that would be in there too deep, maybe came in and had more success against North Carolina. North Carolina scored more points in the first quarter and a half. It's actually a little less than a quarter and a half than they did against North Carolina in the entire game. So that in itself is, is just worth noting on, on, the, on, the, on the face of it for the numbers. The other thing, though, is during the week, and you know, I, I, I hadn't broken down too much of the, of the North Carolina defense against, uh, against Clemson for the videos that I did last week. I mean, I did several, what we did, seven videos and focused on a lot of the key plays there against uh, against North Carolina, a lot of which were Carolina on offense, and just a couple quick things on defense there, including the one play where I I, I had a at the time a better look at the at the all twenty two, so we were able to break down the the play where Clemson was scored the go ahead, but I didn't get much of a chance to really watch with the to rewatch and watch the angles and all of that of what Carolina did defensively to cause Clemson those problems. And I said, you know, I sat in the box and normally in the box, I can follow along pretty well and and have a good sense in terms of pre-snap evaluating what a defense is doing, taking a look at movement after the snap and having a good sense of, okay, they disguised this and they're doing this and leaving the North Carolina Clemson game. I, I left thinking, well, you know, they, they rushed five a bunch and they used a bunch of movement up front and stemmed a bunch and used a, used a lot of variation to create pressure from different looks, but looked to me like they were a lot of played a lot of the game in a two shell, something like, like palms, which is a, a cover two match. And I commented that actually on Twitter earlier this week. And then I got a I got a message from someone in the North Carolina program who is more informed on such things than I am who said uh yeah actually we we didn't run much palms we 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 haven't we we don't run a whole lot of that and so that sent me back to take a look a closer look and I had to pull some strings but I was able to get the uh all 22 of the first half against Clemson and take a look at what North Carolina did against Clemson with, you know, from, from the coach's film angle. 
And it took about five minutes watching the first drive, drive and a half to go, oh, wow. I normally don't miss that this much from the box, but man, they had a bunch going on. No wonder, no wonder Lawrence was, was seeing, was seeing ghosts. No wonder Lawrence was a little, was a beat slow to recognize what's going on because I didn't see it. Oh, and by the way, I left something out when I was leaving the box on, uh, on Saturday after the Clemson North Carolina game, I happened to run into the analyst for that game. Any, anyone remember who did that game on television? Greg McElroy, Greg McElroy, former NFL quarterback, didn't play in the NFL that long, but you know, he, he picked up a few checks, you know, played at Alabama, knows a little bit about defense, knows a little bit about how to read a defense and, and all of that. And we were talking after, after the game in the box and the two of us, basically we had, we were comparing notes and it was like, yeah, you know, Lawrence got confused by this and that, but it looked, just looked like palms most of the, and he goes, yeah, they were, they were all in, it was palms the whole game. He thought it was palms. I thought it was palms. I think Lawrence at times thought it was palms. And then I went to the film and, oh, it was not the, the, uh, the person who had corrected me was, was very much correct. Uh, because what I saw was a lot of split field coverage, which it, by the way, is really hard to call against a hurry up, no huddle team, because you don't have much time to get a sophisticated call in to say, okay, I want half the field on this, half the field on this. And then you've got to communicate to your linebackers that two backers have to be doing this. One backer has to be doing. So you have to do all of this with really short calls that are easy for the defense to integrate and understand, which is a part of the task, but just on the first drive and I'm going off memory here. So I may, may get one or two of these, not quite right, but it was, Half the field in cover two, half the field in cover three. Then showing Palms pre-snap, do a field reduction where the safety triggers late. He doesn't show that he's even triggering even after the snap. Triggers late to, to come down into a cover three position. So it's cover three, actually, even though the safety doesn't even come down early, along with a, uh, a nickel blitz to, uh, to serve as field reduction against the, uh, against the run which that provides some problems for the run blocking. Then cover two, trap on one side and cover four on the other side. Two trap, by the way, is a whole different story because that requires the, the backer to carry the, the, the vertical differently than what you, what you would do on the other side. And two trap is where it looks like two. And then the corner jumps inside to take away. So if you're going to try to run a, a slant or something like that or any sort of thing that's designed against two, you're going to throw a pick six. And all of this is on the first drive. And I'm just sitting there going, oh, well, okay. <laughs> I, I didn't see Palms once on the first drive. Looked like Palms pre-snap about three times. But it's split field 2-3, two, 2-4, two, two trap 4, field reduction, cover 3, and all sorts of different things to play with assignments and to get the pre-snap looking one way and then to, you know, to give this and then take it away that. And watching that was like, yep, that explains why they had trouble. Now I'll be interested if they play Clemson again in the, in the ACC championship, will they be able to cause the same level of confusion after Clemson's already seen all that stuff once that's, that's going to be a whole nother thing. And so I'm, I'm really hoping we see that, but just watching all of that and going, dang, there's a lot on this. And then watching what Florida State did defensively against Clemson, which was 
basically stick in for the most part, stick, stick with their base cover four and rotate some to cover three, but not really do a whole lot of, of changing up. And Lawrence looked comfortable and threw into spots because he knew exactly who was going to be open and who was going to be where, and they weren't that open because the athletes are so good. But when you tell them where you're going to be and they're, they're that good. Well, great throw, you know, great pitching, great beats, great hitting. And just further reinforces that game to me and watching going back and getting a chance to watch closer and having the luxury to watch very closely of what happened with the, with the uh, North Carolina Clemson game. And then watching the Florida state Clemson game, which of course I can't see everything they're doing in this, in the secondary because well, show the safeties. Uh, So I don't have the same angle there. Uh, I, I haven't been able to watch the same angle, but from what I saw, it's not that that that's the difference. And to be able not only to call it and to coach or, and to scheme that, but to, in your first year, get your guys to be able to execute all that and make sure they're not blowing assignments all the time because you're, you're, you're using some sophistication there. Well, <laughs> yeah, just shows again, as we talked about last week, how, how valuable, uh, how, how good Carolina's defensive staff. And I don't just want to credit Bateman. I mean, Bateman, you give a lot of credit there, but that's the whole defensive staff getting that group ready to go. I mean, you've got to get, that's got to be the linebackers coach. That's got to be your, your corners coach. That's got to be all of those guys making sure that everybody is doing their job on the same page with the right technique and, sh- and showing with showing the right disguise in order to do it. And yeah, good luck. And what's fascinating to me about it uh, is that it's not the same guys on the field. They've had the plug-and-play guys consistently all year. And to be able to accomplish what he's doing, it's, it's, yeah, pay that man. And the athletic athletic, uh, website also had a couple of former NFL uh, coaches come in to break down a little bit of what Carolina did. And I took a look at at, at their breakdown. And they they actually – one of the plays they broke down was – one of the plays I broke down, which is that last play, uh, the Higgins touchdown. And each of them, they diagnosed the same thing I did. And each of them was just, just going, yeah, this is a, a really unusual. That was, I think, the word that uh, that one of them used. This is a really unusual uh, and exotic uh, zone coverage. And, you know, Lawrence did a great job identifying who, who you know, his matchup early on. And, you know, you, you may have a miss, missed assignment over here, but that's it's the same thing. And again, there's all sorts of those just unusual looks that are going to cause most quarterbacks a lot of problems. Take a short break. Come back and wrap this podcast up. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast. I got Buck and Jason. We'll be right back. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, Buck. uh, Where do we go from here? The ACC, Carolina, I mean, it, it is a Clemson and everybody else mess right now. Um, what needs to happen other than Carolina winning? What are what are the big games in the conference? I'm put you on spot a little bit because I haven't looked at the schedule. But Carolina needs to win it out. They went out. They go to the Coastal or they go to the ACC Championship. But tell us who we need to be pulling for in these other matchups um, deeper into or even this coming week outside of Carolina and Virginia Tech. Well, you, you've previewed them on your on your column a lot. Tell us what we need to look for. Well, what I would say is uh, there's one game that I'll watch, but I'm not really all that certain how much difference it makes to North Carolina. Um, that's the Duke and Virginia game. Um, that's the one uh, that if I write a column about it, in, in, you know, I want you to watch this game. That would probably be the one. Um, because the other games, quite frankly, uh, you know, I, I really don't care about Georgia Tech and Miami or Florida State and Wake Forest, although that, that could be an interesting game. Uh, NC State and Boston College, nah, not really. Uh, Louisville is another great story uh, in the ACC this year. Um, but, you know, when you – win a game by three points and you have to do score 70, uh, 62 to do it. Um, you know, that's, that's probably not championship level football there, but anyway, um, the, the game that I would watch probably uh, be very interested in seeing is a Duke Virginia game. Not that I think it really matters to North Carolina because one of those teams is going to lose and uh, that's going to benefit North Carolina either way. Uh, Duke is going to pick up its second loss or um, Virginia is going to pick up its second loss. So, um, you know, after that game, then it becomes a matter of which, you know, uh, which team you want to see lose. Uh, But I I do think talking about the ACC in general and what a mess it is, the, you know, there's no ranked – ACC team in the top 25 except Clemson. When was the last time you you saw that? Not a single ACC team in the top 25 except for Clemson. Um, but I do think that, you know, several years ago when the conference was really very good, um, if you go back and look at it, uh, you know, there was, they had that one year where they won a bunch of bowl games and Clemson won a national title and, um, uh, what made the ACC good back then? What was it that was different about, uh, the ACC, uh, then and now? Well, um, in say, 27, uh, seven, 2016, for example, who was playing quarterback uh, in the ACC? Deshaun Watson, 
Mitch Trubisky, Lamar Jackson, Brad Kaya, uh, Daniel Jones, Ryan Friendly, um, you know, and and you even go to you know 2015. You know you got uh, Deshaun Watson and Marquise Williams and uh, Nate Peterman and Lamar Jackson. Um, you know all those guys. What made the difference then? Uh, and what made the ACC a better league then was quarterback play. Now you've got what? Uh, Kenny Pickett, Tommy DeVito, Bryce Perkins, Anthony Brown, Quentin Harris. You know, some of those guys may end up to being very, very good uh, players, uh, you know, down the road. Uh, but you don't have the same quality at quarterback uh, in in the ACC this year as what we're used to seeing. Uh, and and that's the making the difference. And, and if you think about uh, what that means or may mean this year, who do you think has a better quarterback uh, in the ACC um, these days? You've got basically uh, Trevor Lawrence, Jamie Newman, and Sam Howell. Um, And then a bunch of players that are okay and, and, you know, probably, you know, would be a uh, a guy on the two deep, you know, in the past. But they're they're not what we're used to seeing at quarterback in the the ACC. Um, You know, uh, a guy like James Blackman at Florida State. I mean, he's okay, but he's not, you know, certainly not Jameis Winston. Uh, you know, players like that, that that Florida State is used to having there. So I, I think for the ACC to make some sort of recovery and uh, to, uh, you know, get back to where it was, say, in uh, 2016 or so, um, they're they're going to have to find quarterbacks that can compete, uh, you know, on some sort of national level. And right now they don't have that. So I like North Carolina's chances, and that might be why they deserve to be in the discussion for the second best team in the in the conference, is because quite frankly, I'm not even sure how it would you know based on their entire bodies of work, you'd have to say that he's probably Sam Howell's probably the second best quarterback in the league right now. So, you know, uh, if you're a North Carolina fan, you can end up feeling pretty good about that. I don't think there's any probably about that. I think he is the second best quarterback in the league. And I don't, I, I don't see anybody else who can even make a claim for that. Quite frankly. I mean, Bryce Perkins, is the only other guy, maybe, but I mean, if you asked any coach in the in, in the conference, you can have one of those guys straight up right now for the rest of the season. They ain't picking Perkins. How crazy is that? Really? I mean, I guess I guess Wake Forest. You know, their 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 guy uh, whose name I'm forgetting, which I shouldn't. He's the only other guy with the legit. Jamie coach. Newman. Yeah, Jamie Newman. Jamie Newman is the other guy. Those, the, it's it's the Elf, then Lawrence, or, or the Elf, then uh, then Howell, and then and then Newman. And Perkins, those are the only four quarterbacks worth anything in the in the conference. It's just amazing to me, given what Carolina went through the last two years prior to this one, and now we're having this discussion. 
Jason, I'll let you close it. Um, you know, bi week musings. Give me some maybe that we hadn't talked about. Non Florida State related. <laughs> <laughs> um well I got a know, question. For, I got a question for Doc. Okay. What what do you think the odds are? I, I, I don't know that this is even a consideration, but what do you think the odds are that uh, next week at practice that Corey Bell is going to line up with the defensive backs? I've thought about that. I think it's a non-zero chance just because he's got good experience there and he's not been playing on the offensive side. He's better on the offensive side, but at a certain point you got to move back to help your team. And I'm sure he'd rather play than, than sit. So you know, that's, uh, I, I, it's non-zero. Uh, I, I think, uh, I think that that's something that if I were the defensive staff, I'd be trying to find the best bodies I could. And, and in some cases you want, even though, again, Bell is not a guy who had a ton of success on that side because of size, the guy can run and he is smooth and he's a really good athlete. And at a certain point you need those, you need those bodies that can, that can do that stuff. So something to consider, uh, certainly non-zero and, you know, this leads to what I was going to wrap with, which is I can't wait to see what this defensive coaching staff does with some of the uh, the athletes that they're going to be getting recruiting here in the next couple classes. I got to say, if I'm a if I'm a defensive recruit, I'm I'm thinking real hard about what I would look like in that kind of defensive scheme. Yeah, and uh, I agree there. Uh, I mean, what they have coming back that's not being recruited that's already on the especially in the defensive backfield already on the team that'll be healthy next year, hopefully. But uh, let me ask a question about Corey Bell, Jason. How difficult is it to flip defense to offense and back to defense, uh, given what Jay Bateman likes to do? Well, you know, I, I think the difficulty is that you have to know the calls. And if you haven't been practicing on that side, that's hard. Now, if you have a, if you have a safety who's, on your side who can help tell you, you know, three, three or whatever. And you can really work on that. And, and Bell is a really smart guy. I mean, that's something that I, I can say. I mean, I, I, I've talked to him uh, and have been impressed by how, how smart he is. Uh, he's capable probably of, of, of being able to figure out more than certainly than the average player, but again, and there's a lot there in terms of disguise and in terms of technique and all that, could he do it? Probably. Would it take some adjustment? Absolutely. So, you know, not, not the best situation when you're even having to think about doing that. But like I said, he would probably be open to it just because he's not been getting much, much run. And at a certain point, you've got to put your, your athletes on the field. And so you at least have to consider it if you're the defensive side. Yep. Carolina, Virginia Tech. Saturday, a week from yesterday at 3.30 in Blacksburg. Big game for Carolina. We'll talk about it a plenty on this podcast and certainly when Jason, Greg, and myself get together on Thursday night. Buck Sanders, it's always a pleasure um, to sit down and chat with you, even when there's no Carolina game to talk about. It's always yeah. fun. Enjoyed it, guys, always. Yep, Jason, appreciate it. We'll talk again Thursday. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. 
It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.